Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We'll use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the best source of recruiting information on the go. We're joined today by Santa Rosa, California native Tony Arnerich. Tony's had a long and successful run in baseball at just about every level as both a player and coach. He was a standout player at Santa Rosa JC and Texas Tech before playing a handful of minor league seasons in the Kansas City Royals and Florida Marlins organizations, reaching up as high as AA. As a coach, Tony cut his teeth in the Pac-12 Conference and the Northwoods Collegiate Summer League and currently serves as the assistant hitting and catching coordinator for the Seattle Mariners. Tony, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Really glad to have you on, um, and I know you're a busy man, so let's jump right into things. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your background in baseball and how you came to be a catcher and catching coach? Um, all right, well, as far as com- becoming a catcher, my dad threw the gear on me when I was like five, and I think I just love being in the dirt, so it kind of just all started then. I caught from when I was five all the way up until pro ball, um, and so I just kind of gravitated to the position, loved the gear, and grew up in Santa Rosa, California, went to Santa Rosa JC, uh, and then to Texas Tech for a year, and then signed with the Royals, played um, three years with them, and then two years with the Marlins, uh, and then got into coaching uh, in the Northwoods League, and then uh, volunteering at Cal Berkeley for two years and I became the hitting coach for five years uh, and then was in a private section for a couple of years and then last year joined the Mariners as a catching coordinator and then back this year as a catching coordinator and uh, assistant hitting coordinator. And Santa Rosa is developing a little bit of a reputation as a as a baseball hotbed and there's been some good catchers to come out of there right? Yeah Tim Cousins uh, is a, the field coordinator and catching coordinator for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Brandon Hyde is the bench coach for the Chicago Cubs, and they're both from Santa Rosa. Um, And then we actually have uh, a couple other guys uh, coaching in the major leagues. Um, Joe Dillon is assistant hitting coach with the Washington Nationals, I believe. And and then Jason Lane is assistant hitting coach for the Milwaukee Brewers at the big league level. So um, definitely had a lot of, you know, baseball people come out of there and and they're still coming out of there. If you look in the Pac-12, there's two two kids from Sonoma County uh, doing well with Andrew Vaughn at Cal and uh, the kid down at Arizona State, uh, Torkelson. Torkelson, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, definitely, you know, we, we pride ourselves in baseball, and we have had a lot of players come out of there. And it's a, a fun city to be around if you're a baseball player. Awesome. Well, we're definitely going to take advantage of our time with you today, pick your brain. What we want to talk about is – you know, catching, uh, catching skills, how to develop catchers, how to evaluate catchers, and then also going to ask you to put your recruiting hat on a little bit uh, and go back to your college days and, and give some advice to the kids who are trying to make it to the college level. 
you know, a popular, popular question for catching coaches is to have them rank kind of the, the most basic skills. So blocking, receiving, throwing, mentality, in order of importance. So do you have a ranking for those skills? Is there something that you stress more than the others? Uh, well, on the physical side, obviously, we've seen in, in it's really been magnified the last few years is the, the receiving uh, is, is a metric that can really change um, the game and can, can win games for you over, over a season, especially at the big league level. Um, and so physically, I mean, the, the receiving part of it is probably the most important, um, which I, I think receiving leads into blocking well and throwing well, um, you know, because if you're receiving the ball well, you're letting it get to you. And in order to block well, you can't, you know, rush to the baseball and, and guess. You have to see the ball deep. And to throw well, you got to let the ball travel as well. So I think everything is kind of predicated off of receiving. But, you know, first and foremost, you got to have a leader back there, with, and he has to have the personality to be a catcher, which, you know, good feel for the game and um, uh, the ability to lead and, and uh, mentally tough, you know, to handle the grind of the position and the grind of the possibility of being 0 for 3 with three strikeouts and and being able to go back out there and, and, and be there for your pitcher and be the best version of yourself behind the plate, regardless of what's going on office, offensively behind you. So um, I, I would definitely say that the mental side of things is, is first and foremost, you've got to be a selfless leader um, and, and then go from there into the physical stuff. So if you were building – let's say you could go back and play again and you were building yourself as a, a real life video game character. You start with the giving yourself a hundred skills on the mental side. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, I think everybody in the game understands how much uh, this game is mental and um, even more so now with all the information, you know, how do you manage the information? How do you use it? And, um, and, and be able to stay focused on the right things when you're playing with all the information you have. Um, having a guy behind the plate that's like a second or third coach is um, more valuable sometimes than anything else. And um, and then after that, if I'm creating myself on a video game, I'm going to be 6'4", 225, and <laughs> stronger than I ever was. <laughs> right. I um I, I don't think you're the only one who wishes that you had been born with a 6'4 frame, but... Um, you know, the reality is there's a lot of good players who don't have that commanding physical stature that maybe we would like to have if we were building ourselves, say, in a video game. But one of the things that we want to do with this podcast and one of the ways that we want to provide value to our listeners is by giving them suggestions and tips about what they can do given their own limitations uh, to continue to improve and give themselves a good chance to play college baseball and so I'm hoping you can speak a little bit about, you know, drills or areas of focus that a kid who doesn't have a lot of money to spend getting uh, the newest gadget or, you know, can't afford to get his personal catching coach, uh, what can he do to continue to progress as a catcher and improve so that he develops some of the skills that college coaches are looking to recruit in catchers? Uh, well, I mean, I think any kid at a young age – uh, if you have a tennis ball, a baseball, racquetball, lacrosse ball, and a wall, you know, any of those in a wall, you can get yourself better. Um, you know, we we actually have a a thing that our guys do pregame um, 
off the wall uh, where they, they incorporate receiving, blocking, um, and then some footwork drills uh, and, and basically throwing the ball off the wall and receiving it and bounce, you know, on the bounce um, and then, you know, blocking it off the wall and then throwing it against the wall. It's, it's really something, you know, if you have a ball and a, go to a playground or somewhere, find a wall, uh, you have the ability to get better, um, you know, and then on, on the flip side of that, if you have someone to help you, um, I, I think just repetitions, uh, you know, is, is really important at a young age um, to where, you, you know, I, I compare it to like ball handling and basketball, like the more that we work on ball handling, the better we get at it. Um, and sometimes we'll, you know, have the basketball go around our leg and then the other leg. And in the game, we might not have to do that. But what that's doing is giving us, you know, we're acquiring that skill to do what we want with the uh, basketball. And when it comes to catching, you know, the more that you receive the baseball and, and work on catching the baseball and um, and not really, you know, how what it looks like, but just how many reps can I get in and, and um, keep acquiring that skill um, and then and then take that into the game and then you're naturally just going to get better just because of the way it works. You know, you're, you're practicing uh, what I call ball handling. And, and I, I always talk about, I love catchers that are cocky with the glove. They believe they can pocket up anything and the only way to get better at it is to practice it. Just in terms of things that a kid can be looking for. I know you said that, you know, first and foremost, the reps are important, but what are some, some small things that a kid can be focusing on in terms of, moving his glove or his hand to the ball while he's receiving? Well, I think, you know, the, the target's important, keeping the target low. And, when you know, when if I let go of my glove, and it's going to go to the ground because of gravity. So working a little bit against gravity, working from down to up um, and letting the ball travel. Don't, you know, we don't want to uh, stick it, so to speak, I guess would be a, a one way to describe it, way out in front, like we're stronger with the glove uh, if it's, if it's closer to us, so letting the ball travel to you and then working the ball upward, um, you know, on the low pitch and then working it back to the zone from left to right and right to left um, uh, and, and just working everything back towards the zone. Um, I think you'd be amazed, uh, or I'm sure people notice this on TV, but the ultra slow motion that they have, I mean, those catchers in the big leagues are moving the ball a lot and they're very good with the timing of their pockets and, um, to where it doesn't look like we're moving it a lot in, in real time, but when you slow it down, they are. So just being strong with the glove by letting the ball travel and, and uh, working underneath it would be probably where you start. Love that. I love the idea of using wall ball as a way for guys to get better, a uh, cheap and, and super effective way to improve your ability. Um, I want to flip the script a little bit. Let's Let's look at an ideal situation or maybe even what you guys are doing with the Mariners. In an ideal situation, what are some of the drills and tools that you like to use to train catchers? Well, I think, you know, anything that we can get that is game-like or even harder than the game, you know, you, we kind of, we, we go by acquiring a skill and then challenging that skill and then testing it, you know. Um, and what that means is, you know, let's make it harder than the game so that the game becomes easier. And machine work, I think, is, you know, huge. The, the machines that are out there the hack attack machines, the home plate machine. Um, and, and there's m many similar ones to those. Um, you know, one, one of the things we do with the home plate machine is we'll program two pitches. One's a curveball for a strike and one's a curveball for a ball and you put it on random. And that's about as game-like as it gets. You don't know which one's coming. And 
if it's a if it's a strike, you're you're expected to receive it, and if it's in the dirt, you're expected to block it. You know, and we could add more pitches where it's a block to the left side and block to the right side, but all of, off the same pitch. You know, right-handed slider, left-handed curveball, whatever it may be, and you get in there and you make it game like that. You know, that that's not necessarily where you would want to work on your technique, so to speak. It's more about working on the reaction and hopefully that, you know, the work you do, whether it's off the wall or, or slowing down the block um, by doing like roll blocks or pretty easy drills where you can work on your technique and then you bring that technique in and, and you become where you're reacting to the pitch. So, I, I mean, I would say any machine work, you know, you can, if you go out there, you can receive a hundred baseballs and, and probably, 15 minutes. I mean, that's, that's a uh, pretty valuable in accelerating your, your uh, development as a catcher. Right. And that's, even if someone doesn't have a machine at their disposal, that's something they can do with the partner, right? If they shorten the distance and go from alternating strikes to blocking and, and different yeah, things. Yeah. I think, you know, one thing I've, I've noticed is when I was growing up and uh, very a lot of times the tr- traditional blocking drills that read and react and where a coach is 10 feet away from you and he's telling you to beat it to the spot. And uh, I'm guessing if you slowed it down on video, the kid is, is moving before the, the coach has even released the baseball, which is not going to happen in the game. So um, does that work on toughness? Yeah. Does it help them get a knack for the baseball and getting their body on the ball? Sure. And get them comfortable with the ball hitting them? Sure. But you know, my thing is like, let's back it up, you know, to 80 feet and say, and say, mm-hmm. all right, now, now you have to see the ball and your eyes have to tell you to make that decision. So, so working the, the flip side of that, like, let's slow it down to where it's actually really easy. But it, at the same time, you're now training your brain to see something and then tell your body to go do it. So, and then speed it back up. So, you know, constantly going from, slow it down, speed it up, and then test it uh, on the machine or test it off a coach from, from 60 feet and have them throw curveballs or whatever, you know, I think, yeah, definitely. If you have a partner and you have a bucket of baseballs, um, I've always said, you know, blocking, it's like a hockey goalie. In the game, I know the goalie's not thinking about his technique. He's thinking about don't let that puck go in the net. And, and catching is very similar. We work on our technique and we work – we want to be – in a good position to block. But when it comes down to it, what are we trying to do? We're trying to keep the ball from getting biased and keep a runner from moving up. So when it's all said and done, it'd be athletic, get the ball to not go by you and, and let's pick it up and throw the guy out. I mean, any coach will tell you, they don't really care how you block it as long as you just block it. So do we work on technique? Sure. Uh, of course we do. Are we uh, expecting them to have perfect form on every block? Absolutely not. I mean, let's, let's be athletic and, and play the game. So I think, yeah, the training part of it is, you know, just keep speeding it up, slow it down, and and make it random to where your brain's having to work. It really is a bottom-line game, isn't it? If you get the job done, no one's really going to care too much about how you do it. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, and it's it's stuff that you continue to work on, but let's not lose sight of what the, the ultimate goal is, is, you know, we're trying to win a baseball game, and if we're keeping the other team from moving up base, you know, having free bases, and we're helping our pitcher by ha- having the ability to block the ball with a guy at third base and we need to throw a ball, you know, low in the zone and happen to throw in the dirt. Are we helping our team win? That's the bottom line. You're right. And that gets back to mentality as well. And I've heard you say this before, but blocking and, and some of the more dis- difficult aspects of being a catcher 
really are about mentality. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to be okay with the ball hitting you. I, I always, people always use the Happy Gilmore, the Happy <laughs> Gilmore, you know, analogy of him getting in the cage and taking it off his head, and and especially you know younger ages, when I work with younger kids, it's it, we'll use tennis balls and we'll use uh, incredible balls because I don't want them worried about being hurt, but they need to understand that if they can master getting the ball to hit them in the right spot, which is obviously in the, in the chest uh, with something that's not going to, you know, impact them too much early on. And then as they get older, you know, then we start mixing it in without them even knowing you throw a hard ball and they, they block it and you go, did that hurt? And you prove to them that it doesn't really hurt that bad. And, you know, people say, how do you get better at blocking? I say, go block more. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. The more you can do it, the better you're going to get it. I think definitely though, it is a mindset thing of I'm not letting that ball get by me. Yeah, and that's a great point with the tennis balls, and you know, you don't you don't want to breed the fear into people. You want to take it out of them, and when they do a better job of blocking, then they can, uh, you know, like you said, add a ball in, and and now they're not scared of getting hit in the wrist with a hard ball uh, or wearing them down with repeated, uh, you know, hard ball reps until they actually know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah like, we don't like. Yeah, we don't want to, you know kill them. I mean, we need them ready to go out and perform. So, um, you know, I, I, one of the things too, it's like, why do we practice? And, and you hear young players all the time. So why do you, you know, you ask them, why do you practice? Why do we practice? So they say, well, so I can get better. And, and I think, yeah, we do want to get better, but I think we practice so that we're ready to perform when the lights turn on. And, um, you know, why do, when, when you go to a Broadway musical or a play, why do they practice? They don't practice so they get really good at practicing. They, they practice so that when the, light, the lights turn on and the, the people are in the crowd, they are prepared to perform what they're talented at and what they're training to do. And that, it's the same thing with baseball. We are training so that we're preparing ourselves to perform. We're not training just to get better at something. And I think uh, pe- people lose sight of that. And we, we end up having guys that are really good at practicing, but they don't know how to play the game. Um, and they don't have the instinct sometimes. They don't play as well as they practice because they aren't understanding why they're practicing. Yeah, there's certainly a training mindset and then a game mindset. And when those lights turn on, it's time to compete. You can't be worrying about, as you said, the the perfect blocking technique or this or that. It's just, well, you know, trusting your training process. Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, we, we talk about mechanics all the time. And the hitting is the same thing. We talk about mechanics, 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 and then, Go in the game. Do not think about your mechanics. It's like, well, we need to train them with that as well. So, you know, not every swing that you take off the uh, outside the game should be just mechanically driven where you're thinking about your mechanics. You should also get in there on a fastball machine and compete. And, it, and it's got to be about seeing the baseball and, and hitting a good pitch and not wearing my hands. You know, in basketball, the guy shoots a basketball. He's not worried about you know, is he goosenecking at the finish? He's worried about, I'm going to shoot the basketball. And and in basketball, it's such a reactionary sport that they don't have time to, you know, cloud their thoughts with mechanics because it's a constant reaction. Whereas baseball, you have that, you know, 12 to 15 seconds between pitches to either help yourself get ready to react or in other ways, people think they're helping themselves and they're actually hindering themselves because they're focused on the wrong things. Uh, while they're thinking about where their hands are, the pitch is on the way, and the guy out, out on the mound is competing to get him out. So um, it, it's definitely a mental side, you know, of training where you have to mix it up where there's game-like stuff, and then there's stuff where we're going to work on our technique but understand that when we get in the game, it's about competing.
there's a theme in your answers that I really like, um, and that's this idea of balance. You know, you've mentioned a few times that there's a place for slowing things down and there's a place for speeding things up and, and competing at game speed. And kind of that balance and that well-rounded training is what's going to prepare us best for the game when, like you said, when the lights turn on, it's time to compete. And if the first time that we've blocked the ball at full speed is in the game, if the first time that we're hitting against velocity is in the game, then we're in trouble because we're going to fall back on our training. When push comes to, comes to shove and the game starts to speed up, uh, we need to have this well-rounded approach to our training that's going to allow us to settle in and compete. Let's jump into talking about some recruiting stuff. Helping kids and, and parents through the recruiting process is the meat and potatoes of what this podcast is all about. And um, obviously, you've got tremendous experience as a college coach, having been to the College World Series, being a head coach in the Northwoods Collegiate Summer League. Um, so let's put your recruiting hat on for a second and uh, and get your advice for high school baseball players looking to play at the next level. What are some of the things that you look for in kids when you're recruiting? You know, I, I think baseball is such a unique sport. You, you want to see guys that stand out, and how do they stand out? It's about, about how they go about their business, how they play. Do they compete? Do they do they have a passion when you when you watch them? Do you believe what they're doing, and do you do they stand out? I mean, if you if you wanted to find a Division One running back in high school, if you go to watch him, you would expect him to run for 300 yards and a few touchdowns, you know, in basketball, you'd expect the guy to go score 35 points and pull down 20 rebounds and dominate his competition, you know, and, and that's kind of what, what you look for at the highest college level is you need guys that can dominate their competition, but then also you also have to project and see, is this kid physically and mentally and baseball IQ wise down the road going to going to be better than maybe he is now and, and balance those two things out. So, I mean, I, that's what I would look for. I mean, the physicality part is important. And sometimes that just comes down to your genes, you know, and, and that we don't, you know, it's not fair, but it is what it is. And it's part of it. Luckily, we've gotten a lot better at training the athlete and uh, showing that things like velocity are things that you can gain through training so that we've come a long way in that, but you're right. You are kind of stuck with what you have and you have to maximize that. Baseball is a little different in that respect than some other sports, because as a hitter shy of, you know, hitting going four for four with four home runs, you can do everything right. Hit the ball on the nose four times and not come away with anything to show for it. So as a recruiter, how do you balance I guess, looking for those dominating results versus evaluating tools and, and skills. Well, I mean, I, I think one thing, you know, Coach Esker actually at Stanford taught me was like, how hard can they swing without their head moving a lot? And, and how athletic is, are they with the baseball bat? And, and I've always looked for that. Like, is this, you know, if the kid is max effort, his head's all over the place and he's got some homers. Yeah. Okay. But then you get the kid is loose and, really good bat speed and it comes easy and you can see the athleticism in his swing and the adjustability of his barrel. He has a knack for getting the barrel on the baseball. You know, another thing I learned from Pat Shine, uh, who's now at Cal is when you go and recruit, he, he would just, he told me what he would do is he'd watch BP at these showcases or whatever he was at. And, and he would just tally up how many balls are barreled by a guy in BP and, 
And at the end, he said most of the time what works out is the guy that barrels him up the most is usually the guy that everybody's after anyway. So it was just, you know, finding those little ways to evaluate. Um, and, and then also seeing how a kid reacts when he, when he goes over four and lines out four times and knows that people are watching him. I mean, that's important too. And so all of that goes into it. Yeah, it's a it's a good point for recruits to know that sometimes it really is as simple as doing the things that you know you're supposed to do. And something as simple as telling up hard hit balls really does tell you something. Yeah, for sure. For uh, sure. And I mean, let's be honest, exit velocity is important. I mean, it's proven. And so the harder they hit it, the the probably the, the more potential they have, you know, but then it just comes down to also this base. This game has not changed ever. It's the same game. And, and it's all about can he get the p- pitch that he wants to hit, and when he does, can he do something with it? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Absolutely, controlling the zone, and then when you get what you're looking for, for sure. doing some doing some damage. We we may be able to discuss it in different ways and use new terms or cycle back to terms that have fallen out of favor, but it is the same game. Every batted ball since the the existence of of baseball has had an exit velocity and a launch angle. So it's just a different way to uh, relate those, what we're seeing. Let's move to a little bit more of the intangibles and character traits that you look for in kids that, that you recruited. Uh, well, I think, you know, confidence is really important. And, and, and there's, it's, it's a fine line between, you know, you got to figure out whether they're fake confident or they actually are confident. And, you know, like I like Andrew Vaughn, at Cal when we were recruiting him, it was like he just had this way about him where he, he had so much belief in himself. And, 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 but at the same time, it, it wasn't a cocky belief. And it was just, he knew that he was good and he believed that he can, he can beat anybody. And, and you could see that by the way, he just, the way he spoke, the way he looked you in the eye when he talked to you and, and just the, the body language, you know, he never saw him get down. Uh, when you watch him play, he was always competing, and you know. And then how did how do their teammates react to them? Um, are they are they guys that are talking in the dugout? Do they do they come over and you know pat somebody on the butt when something doesn't go right for them? Say, let's go, we need you. Um, and, and those things, you know, it's it's easy to say. Let, make sure you do those things, but there's a look to it that you've got to find where it's genuine and, and, and some, you know, a lot of people are just born with it. It's just naturally who they were and, and their parents raised them to be that way, I guess. And other, other players, you know, like myself, I had two older brothers that kind of toughened me up when I was younger and I had to learn because I, it was kind of sink or swim. They're older than me. They're going to kick my butt. It's something I need to figure out how to, how to be good, which in turn probably made me mentally tougher. So but just looking for that leader on the field and the guy that, that has that walk and that, that look to him, like, I can't be beat. Right. And that, that authentic look. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And for the, and for those listeners who don't know who Andrew Vaughn is, Andrew Vaughn's a sophomore first baseman for Cal Berkeley, who's uh, tied the program record for home runs in a season, I believe with 23. Um, he's hitting, I believe well over 400 last I checked and is uh, uh, in the running for the golden spikes award. So Definitely a player that you want to model your your game after, and you talked you talked a little bit in that about you know you didn't mention it by this word but culture. I know that in the Mariners system with Andy McKay and Jerry Depoto, uh, they've made 
it's pretty clear that culture is a big priority for the Mariners organization. Um, and you got a chance to serve as a manager in the system for part of last year and see kind of what's going on firsthand. But what, in your opinion, makes for a successful team culture? Well, you know, we, we talk about a few things um, in our organization. And, you know, we, we talk about doing the right thing, focus on the process, be a selfless person and have fun. I mean, those four things, if you do those four things, you're going to probably be a good teammate and, and teammates, if you have a bunch of people doing that on the same team, they're all going to work well together. And now you create this culture, you know, based around those four main things. I mean, do the right thing. You know, everybody knows what the right thing to do for the most part. And, uh, and then focus on your process. You know, what, what have we worked on and, and focus on what the process is and don't get clouded by outside things and then be a selfless person. I mean, I think the more that you make it about your teammates, the better everybody plays and probably the better you play. So, you know, I've heard before where someone says, you know, being selfless can actually be considered self selfish because it comes back to you sometimes tenfold and, and you end up playing way better because, you know, you're, you're not worried about yourself. Um, and then, and then having fun. I mean, I, I tweeted a video yesterday of, uh, John Andrioli got called up to the big leagues and got his first major league hit and they're throwing the ball into the dugout and Gene Segura, you know, is, is acting like he's going to hit it and swings and misses. I mean, it's just little things like that. You got to enjoy the game and, and, um, you know, and that's kind of what we base all our, all of our teams off of. That's what we, we preach to them. And, you know, I think that's the best way to get results as well. So, you know, it would be a, it would be a big swing and miss for me to not bring up your pass the ketchup analogy. Would you mind explaining that to the listeners? <laughs> sure. Uh, so uh, what we were at Cal and a recruiting, we were taking a recruit out to dinner or something. And I asked one of our players who was along with the kid, he was his host. And I, you know, we're eating dinner and, and I said, Hey, can you pass the ketchup? And he stopped eating and passed the ketchup. No problem. And, and I said, man, if we could just make everything like passing the ketchup, you know, hey, I need I need this screen down the left field line. Can you get it for me? Yeah, I'll get it. Uh, that's no problem. Hey, I need you to bunt here. Yeah, I'll bunt. Okay, cool. Like, let's do it. You know, like, and so we developed that the saying, pass the ketchup, uh, you know, and just say, hey, I need you to pass the ketchup here, man. You know, and, and you realize that that helping people really isn't that hard. It's just about kind of your 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 mindset on it, like. Am I going to be negative about it or am I going to, you know, understand that this needs to be done and, and I'm, I'm willing to do this for my team or uh, to help us get better. And it, it's all about, you know, your, your mindset and your outlook on things. And uh, we tend, this game is very negative. So sometimes it's easy. There, there's plenty of things to blame and plenty of negativity out on the baseball field every single night. You can blame an umpire. You can blame every ball I hit get goes right. You know, every hard ball I hits right at somebody and, you know, I lined out again and it's like, well, you know what? You're not the first person that that's happened to. So you need to learn how to deal with it because the game doesn't care. And, and so, you know, learning to deal with that and staying with your process and not trying to do too much. And it all, you know, it all kind of go, goes, goes into it. And at the end of the day though, it's a game and let's have fun playing the game because that's when we're going to be at our best. Definitely. I love that pass the catch up analogy. I mean, when, when people just chip in a little bit, it goes a long ways, right? When when an extra guy or two jumps into the cage to pick up balls, that might be a, an extra round that guys can take before, uh, you know, switching to the next drill or, or whatever it is. But there's all these 
I guess you could call them micro wins that when, when guys do some of these things that you talk about with culture, they're selfless, they're willing to help, they have a, a growth mindset and an attitude that, you know, the, the game is a blessing or however you want to look at it, but enjoying each time you're out there and not getting bogged down by uh, some of the negativity and the failure that's inherent in the game, it just goes a long ways, both individually and for the team. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, you know, it's funny. I noticed over my time in baseball that that good teammates pick up balls they didn't hit. I mean, it, it just you see it all the time. Guys that pick up balls that someone else hit and you look at it, that guy's a good teammate, you know, and then but it doesn't mean that you're just, you know, it's all hunky dory and and everybody's happy all the time. I mean, I, I love using analogies. And another analogy I like is if, if let's say, Ethan, you and I were going to play or let's say a shortstop for us and we're going to. I was going to play video games with them and we're on the same team. And uh, let's say we're playing a, you know, multiplayer game and I'm not where he needs me to be. I guarantee you our shortstop, wherever level he's at would be like, Tone, let's go. What, what are you doing? Get over here, you know, get on my case. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to walk away from that video game and say, man, that guy was such a jerk to me when we played video games. You hear him yelling at me. And for me, it's the same thing out on the field. Like, you know, if you need a guy to be backing up a base and he's not there, or you need your pitcher to get over. It's okay to say, let's go get over there. And at the end of the yeah. day, that guy can't come off the field and be like, gosh, he was such, he was so mean to me on the field. And I think, you know, when, when you use that analogy, kids kind of go, wow, that that's true. You're right. Like, and I, and do we want to win a video game more than we want to win a baseball game? I don't think so. I hope not. Um, <laughs> so at <laughs> the end not. of the day though, they, they need to know that it's okay to, you know, demand things out of each other and hold each other accountable to things and, and push each other. And because in the end of the day, we're just trying to win, you know, we're all trying to do the same thing, which is win a game. That's a, that's a really good analogy. I'm going to have to steal that one in the future. You know, one of the things that, that we really want to do is leave guys who are going through the recruiting process or trying to make it with the, with the very best advice out there. You're a guy that's, that's spent so much time in the college game and had so much success college game and beyond really every level of, of baseball. What is your number one piece of advice for a high school player who's just starting the recruiting process? Let's say a, a freshman in high school who who's passionate about the game and wants to play in college, but doesn't really know what to do. What, what's the number one thing you would tell them? Uh, you know, I would just say be patient and, and very, uh, don't force anything. Uh, you know, so many people out there want to be committed to a school and say that they're committed to school. And what's the reasoning, you know, and find a good fit for yourself. I mean, and, and do the research, go visit campuses and, and go to their camps. If you are, you're able to, and you can afford it, uh, go, go check out what their program's about. Just go watch games. And, um, and then you also got to do some, some inner, questioning of how much do I love this game and if you are passionate about this game usually this game will lead you to many great things as long as you trust it and you follow it and that doesn't mean it's always exactly what you want um, but if you trust it and you just keep working hard and you keep that passion you will end up going places uh, that, that will fit you um, when you start making it about other things you know whether it be popularity or, or recognition a lot of times you end up in situations that you don't want to be in because you you've made decisions based on the wrong reasons. So, you know, I was a junior college 
kid and and did I want to go to division one college out of high school of course I did but you know it just wasn't in the cards for me at that time and being able to realize that was not easy you know I had to go work and I had to go to a junior college and that's what everybody else in my town was doing so uh you know and that and that's okay it's just the path that that I was led on so I guess the biggest thing is be patient and then also what are you open to doing? Are you open to going to South Dakota to a division two school? Are you open to going to junior college or is the education part of it uh, first and foremost, which it really should be. Um, but you can get a good education at a junior college. And you can also get a good education at like a UC school. And um, so what are your priorities? Do you want to go to a school that, you know, coach Esker always said, do you want to go to school with football or do you not care about going to a game on Saturday? You know, what are your priorities? And then, learn as much as you can. And, that, and that's why I think your website's great. I mean, there's so much info there about the rules of recruiting and, and what you should be doing, what classes you should be taking and, and how the communication can work from colleges, coaches to you. And because um, most people don't know. So educate yourself and, and then, you know, enjoy, your, enjoy the process. And don't, don't forget that it's really about having fun playing the game in the, at the end. Definitely. And knowledge is power and what we're trying to do is inform people so that they can make the best decisions for what they're looking for in a college experience. And um, sounds like, you know, that's, that's exactly what you're saying. So really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us today. I know you're busy out there in, in Arkansas with the double <laughs> A team right now. Yeah. Well, uh, Hey, Ethan, and really quick on that, you know, the, the thing that people, you know, you see so many people invest in these college recruiters and, and uh, they invest a lot of money and it's all, you know, it's all out of a good place. They want what's best for their kids. And I mean, I, I look at your website and I'm like, that's all the info they need to know. Now, if they want to go, go meet a coach, you know, they can send an email, they can walk on a campus. It's not illegal to walk onto a campus and walk into a coach's office and introduce yourself. I mean, um, you know, so some of those, I'm not, you know, people do what they do. And, and I understand some people have success. Uh, using somebody to help them through that process. But, I mean, your your website is just amazing if, because they don't have to pay a dime. And a lot of times people think when they're not paying money, then they're not getting the best out of something, you know. And, uh, right. And that's definitely not the case with, with your thing. And um, so, I, I mean, obviously, you know, Appreciate Ethan, we, I just think what you're doing is great. So um, it's, it's good for the, the kids coming up and the parents. And I wish I had it when I was playing, to be honest, when I was young. Yeah, may have given you a few more years at Texas Tech out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <No. laughs> um, I, well, we appreciate that. And uh, for those that don't know, our information is 100% free. All the information comes from current and former college players, college coaches, and parents of college players. So we're, we're player-to-player based. We're always getting feedback from those going through the recruiting process and then those who have been through it successfully to uh, to send out the best and, and most up-to-date information possible. So I appreciate the kind words. And, um, you know, yeah, it's important for, for people to learn how to do things themselves. And that's what a lot of kids don't realize is the recruiting process is a learning experience in and of itself. Even if you don't end up at your dream school, uh, you're learning how to communicate with diverse range of people. Uh, you're learning how to problem solve. You're learning how to overcome adversity. You're learning how to uh, meet standards and, and plans. So 
there's a lot of things that are turning you into a, a leader and things that will help you both on and off the field and taking it upon yourself to, to get educated and go through the process yourself. But like I said, Tone, we, we want to let you go. Know you're busy. Good luck to you and the Mariners the rest of the year. Uh, know you guys have some some good things going and uh, appreciate you taking the time to join us. Today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ethan. Always uh, good catching up and, and talking shop for sure. So thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to episode one of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you need more information on the college baseball recruiting process or what it takes to play college baseball, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. You can also track us down on our social media accounts. That's Twitter, at KeepPlayingBB, Facebook, KeepPlayingBaseball, and Instagram. Uh, handle at keep playing baseball that's it for this episode we look forward to catching you next time until then take care